Hello, today is Monday, November 6th, 2023, and welcome to episode 272 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm senior fellow Lester Munson, and I'm joined today by NSI founder and executive director Jamil Jaffer and deputy executive director uh, an occasional street fighting heroine, Jessica Jones. Le- worth noting that Les, Les and I are in the same room today. We are. It's unusual. Yeah. And Jessica, unfortunately, can join us. I was and sitting right next to each other. We're also I sharing can't. AirPods. There's a lot going okay, on. Okay, awkward. Why would you tell people that? So weird. All right. Uh, no laughing matter. We are going to talk about uh, the ongoing crisis in the Middle East and the very strange happenings in internal American politics that I think are directly related to it. So quick overview of what's been happening in the last few days. The Israeli move into Gaza has been ongoing. There's been a lot of reports about the humanitarian crisis, the number of Palestinians who have been killed. We're not necessarily going to directly address that, but that is, of course, uh, those, of course, are major concerns, the situation with respect to hostages. There's a lot going on on the ground in Gaza. Meanwhile, the Biden administration, uh, senior folks, uh, the director of the CIA, Bill Burns, the secretary of state, Antony Blinken, are on the move in the region having meetings. They're in, they were in Amman meeting with Arab leaders to talk about the situation in Gaza. Uh, Blinken went to Ramallah on the West, in the West Bank to meet with Abu Mazen, the leader of Fatah, which is the a kind of alternative Palestinian political organization to Hamas to discuss various things. Not a terrorist organization, notably, certainly with some flaws and some issues and things deep we can talk about. Flaws. Deep flaws but not uh, at the level of Hamas uh, by by a real quick analysis. Also, uh, Blinken went to Baghdad to meet with Prime Minister al-Sudani to talk about, uh, again, probably similar issues. One of the things going on here, frankly, Jamil and Jessica, is the administration is talking about not only the current crisis, but what the governance structure will be in Gaza when the crisis ends, which, you know, God willing, is, is quick. Uh, it may not be, but let's hope it's quick. Uh, but there's got to be a kind of an out plan for who's in charge of Gaza when the Israeli move there against Hamas is over. That is clearly something that is going on behind the scenes in addition to all of the public discussions we've seen. Now, meanwhile, some amazing things happened this weekend. Former President Barack Obama. Here at home. Here at home in Washington. Barack Obama, former president, decided it was a good time to talk about his views of the crisis. He said, effectively, everyone is to blame for the crisis in the Middle East, uh, which, which is an interesting and I think terrible approach uh, and does not lead you to any kind of good decision making. And his former main political operative, David Axelrod, who ran uh, Barack Obama's first campaign in 2008 was kind of the intellectual father of the reelect, uh, who is the, the most senior political operative in Obama world, basically said, Joe Biden probably shouldn't run again. Now, he didn't phrase it exactly that way, but that was the message. So while the Biden administration is dealing with a major global crisis in the Middle East that is of incredible difficulty and a lot of issues being contemplated and a lot of moves on the chessboard, the president's main political ally, his former boss, his patron, decided to completely undermine the efforts of President Biden and his team. Jamil, I am shocked at these developments. <laughs> what do you say? I mean, you should be shocked. President Obama never wanted Joe Biden to be president. He uh, didn't back him the first time. He, in fact, convinced him to stay out of the race after his son, Bo Biden, uh, uh, passed away. 
um, and, and supported Hillary Clinton. So this is no surprise. Uh, what's surprising is happening in the context of these, of this crazy world situation. Um, and it's also crazy that Barack Obama, maybe it's not surprised that Barack Obama has a sort of nuanced and intellectual view of this conflict. Everyone's at fault. No one's responsible. I mean, it's ridiculous. There is one party responsible for what's happening in Gaza right now, and it is Hamas. Hamas came across the border, murdered 1,400 people in a single day, the equivalent of a dozen 9-11s. There is no cause for saying, uh, for keep creating any sort of moral equivalence between the kind of terrorism that Hamas engaged in and the now legitimate form of self-defense that Israel is practicing, right? We can all talk about the, the plight of the Palestinian people and what needs to be done in the long-term solution, a two-state solution is what is necessary in my view. But the idea that the question of whether whether everyone's responsible for what's happening is ridiculous. And Barack Obama should just keep his mouth shut and just keep, focus on the knitting. Jones, there's a polling that shows support for Israel is lowest among young Americans. Those in the kind of the college cohort, 18 to 24, are much more willing to, to kind of take the side of Hamas in this conflict. Not a majority, uh, but a very significant minority. They are These are the progressives. These are voters who are on the left. They're who the Democrats are going to need to win an election next year. What, what are your thoughts about what Obama said and American politics and what we're, we're likely to see next year? Uh, so what I think is interesting about Obama's comments, regardless of what he thought about Joe Biden in the first place becoming president, I just wonder what's the next step there, though? Criticizing President Biden right now leads to what we're coming up to an election year. Who does he think is going to replace Biden and running? Uh, who who Michelle, has who? the power to do like who has the popularity? I don't know. Is it Michelle? I don't know what he's doing. So I just wonder what the long term play is there when you open the door to that level of criticism. I was actually reading a few interesting pieces this week talking, speaking to kind of the movements on on college campuses and the younger generation. And, you know, one of the things that we've discussed a little on the show is that a lot more f- younger folks are getting information from TikTok talk and other social media platforms. Right. And it's no surprise. I think it was um, Chairman Gallagher, uh, Rep Gallagher wrote a piece on no surprise. TikTok is owned by the Chinese, of which case you're getting a lot of news that let's not forget, you know, where they stand, um, where you're getting slanted news that's, you know, bias that's not been um, verified. And so one, I think, you know, there's I think there's just skepticism and and you know, young folks are still figuring out how the world works and, and geopolitics and where they stand. But I think you're getting a lot of biased information that is not being verified. And just like, you know, the attack on uh, the strike on the hospital, you're taking the real head, the first headline that you read. And it's 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 hard to then move off of that. And so I, I don't think we can downplay where young folks are getting their their news. And look, it really has caused a significant impact on Joe Biden. I mean, he has lost in a month. He has lost 11 points in polling within the Democratic Party. I mean, that's a massive problem. It may not result in anything happening to him, uh, you know, writ large, but what it does is it keeps it keeps people at home, right? And if this is an election about turnout, which is likely to be, Joe Biden may lose the election purely on the basis not of having been taken out in the primary, which unclear if that's going to happen, but he may just lose on pure turnout numbers because his party base is demotivated. You know, there's a, there is a primary challenger to Joe Biden. It's Dean Phillips. He's a congressman from uh, Minnesota. <laughs> he is he's very pro-Israel. Uh, and he did a he did a town hall event a few days ago and basically got mm-hmm. shouted down by the crowd for being too pro-Israel. So this the Democratic base is not where President Biden is. So I think it's crazy, by the way. Well, I, well, I think that's nuts. why yeah. you, you have Blinken out there getting all his frequent flyer miles, trying to get some win, <laughs> whether it's a humanitarian pause to get more aid in, to get civilians out, whether it's yeah. an announcement of what's going to happen to Gaza post this conflict, post, you know, Israeli operations. They're trying to get some wins on the board because you see a lot 
lot of Americans really unhappy. Yeah. And you know, the crazy thing, Jess, you're exactly right. And they were so close to a major victory, building on what President Trump did with the Abraham Accords, getting Saudi Arabia to recognize Israel. They were weeks away, it sounds like, from that deal and Hamas knowing it. I mean, I, I think yeah. a lot of this has to do with Hamas and Iran's mm-hmm. perception that they were about to get boxed out. And, and, you know, the administration's now for, signature foreign policy achievement out the door. Their signature foreign policy achievement at this point is bailing out of Afghanistan disastrously and a new and two, two wars on new fronts. There's also this story that the attack may have happened even earlier, perhaps on Passover, but the, but Hamas waited, uh, perhaps at Iranian direction until the Biden administration coughed up the six billion dollars for the hostage exchange. I don't know if that's true or not. Worth, it would worth, not surprise me. Worth noting the six billion dollars remains frozen. They haven't gotten access to it, but it is in cuttery hands, so they may eventually. You're right. And of course, it's a little bit of a distraction from the major issue, which is sanctions relief on Iran has probably unlocked somewhere between twenty and fifty billion dollars right. for that country. The administration's. Uh, a schizophrenic approach to the Middle East is on trial here. And China, by the way. It's the same problem on China. All right, folks, a lot to unpack there. But that's a wrap. Thanks so much to Alex Toki, Claude Jennings, and the NSI staff for their help in producing today's episode. Join us again on Wednesday, November 8th, for another episode of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security and foreign policy debate shaking up America. Fault Lines is now on YouTube, so check out our channel for a video of today's episode. If you like what you heard or saw, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. 